You're listening to the Got Game University podcast. This podcast puts you in the classroom and lets you learn from some of the best hunters and callers in the woods. Hi, this is Taylor and Ryan with Got Game Tech. Got Game Tech is a software development company that builds mobile apps that teach hunters how to call and hunt different animals. Welcome back to the ElkNet series of the Got Game University podcast. Tonight's episode is the second of the series and features Taylor, Ryan with Got Game Tech and Paul the ElkNet as they jump right in and answer the question from last week, as well as get into some pretty exciting subjects about calling elk in open areas, discussing some of the major mistakes that hunters make calling, and all up on a few other tangents as well. So appreciate you listening in again, and uh, here goes the second episode. Welcome to the second episode of the ElkNet series on the Got Game University podcast. Ryan and Taylor here with you, and we're pleased to have Paul Medell, a.k.a. the ElkNet, with us again. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing good. Hey, thanks a lot for having me back here. You know, I'm excited for this evening. Good. We're we're happy for it. So, so on the last episode, Paul, we, you know, we, uh, you ended with a question on our last episode for those viewers that uh, haven't listened. Uh, will you repeat that question so we can get the answer from you? Maybe we'll have Taylor answer it too, see what he thinks. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm sure you know he knows me like a book now, so <laughs> I'll let him answer it before I answer it. Then his opinion on it. Well, no, you know he 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 knows. He's he's pretty sharp. He listens. Okay, the question was: Would a bull use a challenge bugle or that challenging tone towards a cow? Taylor, you're up to bat. Let's hear it, Taylor. <laughs> so I would venture yes. Uh, my reasoning would be, um, you know, elk aren't, you know, they're not saying, all right, I'm going to dial up a challenge bugle here. They're putting emotion into the sounds that they make. And there are times when a bull is going to be communicating aggressively or with a high emotion level with a cow. So my answer would be yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. pretty good, Paul. Pardon me? That sounded pretty good. I don't know if it's the right answer. <laughs> and it is. You know what? If there was a yes and no question, the answer is yes. So let's elaborate on that just a hair more here. Let's just take a minute so the viewers themselves or the listeners can actually understand why. Because many of us have been in that very situation. And I'll explain why this works. Because a lot of times, you know, guys might debate that. Oh, so what they said, yes. How do they know? Well, let me show you. I'll give you some example, a, a real good example. You have to understand, first of all, a bugle to a bull is his tone or the emotion that he is displaying for a situation that's taking place. So if a bull is bugling, you see, you understand what I'm saying. He's bugling because of something. And so in the case of, let's say you and I were out there elk hunting and we start a cow call and we got a bull to respond. That bull responded to our cow call. We never even bugled. He showed some emotion or the tone of his sound to give that cow a direction or to let her know he heard her. Now, if I keep cow calling and the bull responds again, we're 150 yards apart, 100, whatever the distance, he's telling me to come over there. This is why he is vocalizing. I cow call again. He vocalizes, I'm not coming. Whether he adds chuckles or he raises the emotion or the tone of his bugle, because after a little bit here, two, three, four minutes of him persuading her to come, 
he starts showing a little bit of annoyance or agitation or frustration. He's upset. Like if me if or you were talking to your mate and you were asking her to do something or to come over and she's not responding to your actions like you expect her or hope she would or quick enough, you raise your voice. This is what elk are doing. They're raising their voice to the point that they're trying to get their point across that they want an action taken. They want them coming. So as we continue to call this bull because he's not coming, he starts showing more intensity or emotion or raising his voice and telling her to get over there now. This same bugle, as he started with, can now intensify. And just like as if we were talking to our mate or anyone else, we start raising our voice because they're not acting on what we're saying. And so this is what elk do. They don't put words to a sound they put emotion or tone to it so they raise their voice because she's not coming like he's asking her he can get to the point where he gets into a challenging type mode or tone even though he's not challenging her it's us that put the word challenge in there he can make that same emotional tone or intensity toward a bull if he was trying to keep a bull away from him or his, or the cows that he has so just because it's a cow or a bull he can still show that same emotion or tone of that bugle because of his agitation annoyance or warning toward a bull for a cow would be more he's he's not happy with her not coming as he asked her to so see and that's a cow that's hanging up not the bull the cow he's asking to come so you can see why it can actually peak in a bull's vocabulary so to speak through his tone that he wants this cow to come because of the time frame that has elapsed when he first made contact with her so that's why you can get a bull and if you ever get in that situation like next year watch what happens when you cow call watch the tone of his bugle or the emotion behind it and then watch how it escalates because you're not coming fast enough he starts raising his voice. He's, you know, he's annoyed because you're not, you're not taking that action. But that's what's taking place there. So don't be fooled out there thinking that challenge bugles only apply to another bull. No, sir. It's the emotion that's dictated for the situation at hand. So, Paul, in that situation, uh, you know, a question off of your question was, uh, in that situation – What's the best move for you, I guess, if you're the one cow talking? It's clear that that bull's not coming to you. Would you still try working them to you? What's what's your next move? Well, first you have you have to know why is that bull not coming? Why is he coming? Because he has cows. That's why. Okay. If the satellite bull, nine times out of ten, if not ten out of ten, the bull will start making his way to you because of the fact that he doesn't have anything to protect. You see, and so he doesn't have a defensive attitude. But when you have a bull that has cows already, and they're not all the same, okay? Bulls, cows, elk are flesh and blood, just like you and I. They, their levels of testosterone, their hormones can be differ from one bull to the other. You know, it doesn't matter what the date is. They're not the same. They're not robotic or programmed. And so this is what happens. So you have to weigh and evaluate each situation rather quickly by their sounds. And if you go through two or three sounds like that over a period of two minutes and that bull has not moved, you can tell by his sound. He may be pacing left and right, but he hasn't closed the distance. That bull's not going to come. You need to go to him or you need to get closer before you step up. 
your 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 calling to persuade him to come to show him why the cow isn't coming whether you inject a bull sound or whatever the case may be but if i have a bull that's bugling back and forth like that there's no way that i'm going to worry about going into a slow play situation because of the fact he's already has an aggressive nature in his sounds he's trying to bring the cow in so nine times out of ten my my simplest play is to go toward the bull with the cow sounds, and if I can get, even if I'm getting 40, 50, 60 yards and I still don't see him, as soon as he gives me that last bugle or chuckle or bugle, whatever he's doing, you know, they're all a little different, and you can tell he's talking to you, is on that last one, I'm going to bugle over him, and I'm going to scream. I'm going to let him know why that cow isn't coming. It's almost like the old days where I started showing people how to use the threat level one, two, and three. I don't know if you guys remember that, but 20 years ago, I started that. The breeding sequence is kind of stems off of it, but once you start bugling over him, once you're that close and he's got the cow that close, it shows a reaction. And that's what you're getting a bull to do. A bull's elk cannot reason a situation out. They do not have the capacity. They're 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 animals. They're not like humans where we can reason things out. So th- so they go on a reaction. And so the minute this bull shows up and is 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 injected into the into the sequence or this calling out of nowhere, it, it can explode that bull. And I speak from experience. I mean, literally, I've called over a thousand bulls to bow range, and I can tell you the things that usually will work and the things that won't work. But that right there is money. You get close enough, Calcon, then bugle and scream right over him. Once he answers her for that last time, it's it 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 can really hit a home run. The other thing. If I have enough, I know so see, this is what I'm trying to show you guys. It's not like, oh, you only do this. There isn't a one thing. If you, it, you know, there's also the situation where there's enough cover and the wind is right. I run right at him making the cow calls, you see, and, and I kill him right there because he's calling the cow. So he expects her to come. And when right. you do do that, his guard is down. All the racket he can hear me going up at him. Cow calling my way right to him. He thinks it's the cow coming that he asked. So see, there's there's a couple of different measures that you're going to use, and a lot of it is dictated by the terrain. Do I have the cover to make it to him, or is all of a sudden there's an opening up ahead and I can't close the distance? So now I have to inject the bull. So it sounds. So see, I don't inject the bull sound every time. I probably could, but there are times when the cow sounds just is money, and it allows you to go right at them. It's they stay anchored. They don't move. And they await that cow coming that they've been calling. And what's so cool about that is when you're using the cow sound at that time, nine times out of ten, the bull starts raking a tree as she gets closer and closer. And he anticipates her movement coming forward because he hears her by sound or by me breaking stuff. And he starts raking. He's displaying for her. He's trying to show off what he has to offer because he doesn't know this cow. But you see, this is kind of what happens. There's there's a lot of little things that you have to take into consideration. It's just not all you have to do is this. It's not. <laughs> it really isn't that way. Boy, that's good. Well, that was a heck of a lead into our uh, second podcast. That's <laughs> a great question, Paul, and a really great answer. And Taylor did a good job, I might add. Oh, yeah, he had the right answer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm glad I asked him because I would have got it wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> there is no wrong answer. <laughs> well, we had a had another uh, kind of a, another direction we wanted to go with uh, the next question for you, Paul. Um, something that uh, that we've run into in our elk hunting is uh, elk hunting in more open terrain 
do you have some uh, suggestions on a couple of strategies that work well when you're when you're hunting elk in more open terrain rather than the dark timber? Yeah, wait for them to get into cover. That's just <clears> number, <throat> no, seriously. That's number one. I mean, I've hunted Wyoming a couple of times, and uh, and I reason I state Wyoming is because there's so much open country out there, and I, and we spotted elk all over the place, glassing them and this and that, but so much of it has it's so flat that there's not enough undulation to really even put a stock on them if they were to bed in there. And so we actually were looking for the elk that moved into the cover before we would even consider messing with them. And and it happened a couple of times, but in most cases, I don't like calling to elk. There's only, you know, there's only two things that you can do. If you're hunting over the counter pressured bulls that have seen hunters throughout the month of September, early August, whatever your dates are, then these elk get conditioned real quick. If people start calling to those bulls or to those elk in general, not, not everybody's after a bull, cow, spikes, bulls, you know, branch outlet, whatever. Once they get called to once or twice, they smarten up real fast on these over-the-counter hunts. And so to call them, call them in the opening, it's not good. Because in most cases, those elk will respond back. And you're thinking, oh, that's great, they responded. But what they're actually doing, if you knew the elk language, is they're trying to call you out. They're trying to bring you out into the open to get a visual, to see you, make sure you're not a possible threat. Now, if you're hunting deep where these elk see few to no hunters, like on draw units or even over the counter, if you're miles back and these elk just don't see hunters, they are apt with the right calling sequence to suck them out of those openings and pull them toward the cover that you're in. This has happened. I mean, I've done it myself, but it has to be elk that have seen little to no pressure. So when they do hear an elk sound, they're pretty much sold that it's a real, it's the real McCoy. They don't have that suspicion yet, like pressured elk. So you know, it, it, it that you kind of look at all those things very quickly as a caller, and I, and I'm more of a caller than I am an ambusher. I've done it both, but I enjoy the calling. But basically, Taylor and Ryan is I'm trying to get the elk into the cover, and I don't say anything when they're in the open, nothing. I just watch them until they finally hit the cover. Then I get them just like if I was over, working any over the counter of the bull I've ever done in the last 40 years. You get them into the cover. That's a really great suggestion. I know Paul Jr. shot a really nice bull over in Wyoming, Wyoming. Uh, not last year, but the year before, right? Two years, yeah. Two years ago. Is that kind of how things played out with that bull? No, that one was a little different. We had been hunting that area and we spotted probably maybe 10 or 12 different bulls in in this particular unit uh by glassing and not calling at all on those bulls they were more in the open and we probably were competing with at least 25 to 30 side by sides and and four wheelers that were out there spotting Mm -hmm. the same elk because a lot of those areas that where we were there's just roads everywhere i mean every half a mile there was a road and i mean little roads you're taking you don't really take your pickup on them but you can legally and they're on the map that you can take, you know, an ATV type of a, of a vehicle. And we had one as well. We knew the country was like that. And so, right. But when we see those elk like that and there's that much competition for them, what we do is we start saying, okay, we need to go back to our strength. Because I'll be honest with you, my, my main strength is calling. That's what it is. And I recommend it so highly to others because if you'll just understand – when to use every club in your bag like a golfer, you're just going to be a better golfer. And that's what you're doing as an elk hunter. If, you, if you're going to just 
sit on all I want to do is spot and stock. You better just be in nothing but spot and stock country. That's it because you're not going to use that in the timber. And, you know, for the most part in most states, most country that elk live in will eventually get pushed into the cover or the timber, the aspens, the willows, whatever. And that's where working your magic is number one. This is where we take most of our elk. And so when we were hunting in that area that was, that was I would say, over 90% open, we found an area, which was funny, Taylor, because it's a really good question. We actually talked to a couple of people on the Internet that hunted that area, and, and it was four or five of them. And all four or five people told me the same thing. They said, Paul, just stay away from this one area. It, 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 it's covered with hunters, and there's timber in there, but this is where everybody goes. Well, guess what? When we got over there, we found that nobody really wanted to hunt the timber. They were because it's steep. It was real steep, benchy, but it went straight up. And it was only maybe a mile wide by maybe a half a mile high, maybe a little more, you know, with a lot of finger ridges and stuff. Well, when we finally made it over to that area and looked, there was nobody. Nobody wanted to walk. And within 20 minutes of getting there, my son put that bull down. I, I mean, you know, once I decided to call that bull in, yeah. I called him in within just a few minutes. And, yeah, he was a 345-inch bull, and there was no competition. There was nobody out there. That I, we, but you could hear these other ATVs below you in the flats. But we hit the timber where it got real thick, a lot of cover. A little bit of it was burned. And uh, eventually I called this bull into 17 yards, and Paul took that bull there. But we, we, we stayed with what we like doing. Calling them in the open is just not a, a strong suit for anybody. You got to get them in the cover so they can't see where the sounds are coming from, and that's where your communication between you and the bull it can be manifested right there. Right, right. And I don't imagine that you know it's just because they don't want to walk. I, I imagine it's because people just don't feel comfortable calling, and that's why they don't go in there. It's scary not being able to see the elk. 50 yards from you and be able to sneak in and make a shot or 100 yards from you. It's a combination. It's what it is. It's a combination of both. And, uh, you know, when people see some really rough country like that, most people avoid it. And, 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 and that's what we do. You know, we hunt here in Idaho. We hunt, look at the unit just in a nutshell that we hunted this year. We hunt every year because we live here in this area. But there's a spot, an area that we hunt and you know, there's over 7,000 elk tags here in this one area. That's a lot of elk tags. That's probably more than people see in Colorado and everything. But we can hunt 20 to 24, 25 days here and never see a hunter. And there's over 7,000 tags in this unit. But there's camps everywhere. They're everywhere. But we go into areas, and guys, these areas, the deepest we even go is two miles. The deepest. We don't even go that. Most of them are well under that. The point is, is we're, we're, we're hunting areas that most guys wouldn't even think of hunting. There's no trails. There's no roads. There's nothing. And so when we go in and go after these into these areas that have elk, which most of them do, all you do is just get up there and start moving. Move and call, move and call, move and call. Or the elk will, will respond or call on their own to other elk. And once we find them, I mean, basically, you know, I've said this a hundred times. Once we find them, we kill them. We're not trying to get to ten elk to kill one. We're finding uh, that one reading his mindset and attacking and so timber for us is just number one just because it's so fun to call them in i'm like i said i've called them 
and taken them that way. I've ambushed them, and I don't have anything wrong with ambushing. You know, it's pretty cool, but it's just not like calling. And that's what we we do it. It works so good that I definitely highly recommend it to others to 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 put the effort forth that it requires to understand some of the sounds, not just making sounds, but understanding what each one represents to the elk. And 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 you know what? It'll put a big smile on your face because. There's times even when you're spotting stock and that calling is needed to seal the deal. And, and, and so if you're, if you're versatile enough and you're equipped enough mentally and vocally, you're, can, you can pretty much handle any situation out there. Right. right. Awesome. That's, that kind of just ties in with where we're kind of wanting to go, you know, talking about the spot and stock and, you know, really effectively calling in these thick timber areas. Uh, Paul, what do you think is, uh, the most common mistake uh, made by hunters when it comes to calling? They call too aggressively right off the bat because they see it on YouTube. No question in my mind, 100%. And the proof is in the pudding. Go to YouTube, watch how many of these guys lead out with such powerful lip balls and challenges no matter what they heard in the woods, no matter what the, the response was. They, they they give them both barrels every single time. And if you look really close and you really care about it, you're going to see they push way more than they ever thought of calling in. And and so to me, it's not, it's not called over calling. It's way too aggressive calling for every elk. And, and, and you have to tailor your calling to each specific elk, just like if you were, you know, if you had four kids. Can you say the same thing and ask the same thing out of each kid? No. Each one has its own little things. You can tell some are more hyper than others. Some like certain foods. Others don't or whatever it is. Their activities, their sports. You got kids, Taylor. Do they all love the same thing? I mean, they don't. Oh, they're all different. Yeah. Yeah. So are elk. And so that's what my mindset is when I'm out there and I hear a bull. And I take we take people with us. And when they see us you know, put this into action, they go, man, I would have never even thought of doing anything like that, blah, blah, blah. Or, or they would say, I've never heard anybody make so many elk sounds in my life to try to bring that one elk in. And, you know, last year was perfect. We, we, you know, we took Lenny out from Exopax and he was with us for a couple of days and, and he was, you know, he, you can ask him, he's been elk hunting for a long time. And, and, and there was stuff that happened there that it was like, wow, I've never even thought of doing anything like that. And that's just what elk hunting is. People get into a stereotype situation in their mind and 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 they think they just need to make a few sounds and if the elk don't cooperate eh, then they move on and, and to me that's one of the hardest things for me is to do is to watch some of these videos and i see immediately what they're not doing right or what they did do right and and, and i can see the adjustment that's needed in their mind but they they don't realize it and I know I'm rattling on now, but but the point is, is yeah, there's just so many little things you that you have to watch, and then it becomes automatic. It's like golfing. You you run out there and you go, oh, well, let's see, I'm 180 yards from the green. You don't have to open up a book and read what club do I need. You've golfed enough. Now you go, oh well, this I need my five or six iron right here. You know, and and that's what happens with elk hunting. So once you start getting into it you'll realize that that in a certain encounter there's a certain technique or tactic that's going to give you the best odds for what you're hearing not just any sound but i have you know a little tactic that that usually works best on this what i'm hearing right here and so you try to you know proceed in that manner 
you call to each bowl. You don't just do the same thing on every one. Exactly. You have yeah. to. You have, you know, you really, really do. You you have to be able to do that. There's times when you, yes, you can be aggressive, and this is why I, I I've stated before that the slow play breeding sequence is absolutely the elk bow hunters, you know, especially an archery elk hunter, it's his best friend. And and the reason for it is when you go over that technique from beginning to end, you see, you're going to see that it covers from A to Z in elk hunting. And it's really nothing to it once you go over it. Because depending on the mood of the elk that you that you've approached, you can you can now go to any level of that slow play. If I got a bull that was just screaming, I'm not going to start the slow play from the beginning. I'm going to take it down to the two thirds of the end, and that's where I'm going to start my calling. Nothing changes. But when I've got a slow play on a bull that's saying nothing but one bugle, I am trying to get him to the top of the or the end of the slow play of the breeding sequence. And I do pretty good at that. And I'm 95% of the bulls I will take from one bugle to screaming his head off in 15 to 20 minutes at the end. But you have to build up to that on that bull. But there's enough bulls out there sometimes as the rut picks up that they're already in a very aggressive attitude because they have a hot cow or they're being bothered by other satellites, especially herd bulls. And so you can start further up into the slow play sequence. You see on your first sound, there's a big difference. So you're playing each bull according to the sounds that you're hearing from him. Right. right. And I'd interject here. I know a lot of our listeners already have the elk nut app. We've, we've, we want to improve the the navigation right now up in the upper left part of the app you can select a side menu and it'll kind of fold out and then there are some tips and tactics um, in the tactics section there's a kind of another fold up option there with elk nut nuggets and we have a version of the slow play in there it's something that we're working on um, provide more content to our elk nut app users to kind of expand on that further and we'll optimize the the search function there but hopefully those of you that do have the app can navigate to that upper left menu and and work your way through some of those tips and tactics and sequences and flesh some of this out um but it is something that we're working on expanding on more yep most things you talk about here paul seem like they're on the app I mean, they are <laughs> you know most of it is it's just it's fun getting to listen to you and your enthusiasm towards elk hunting and we appreciate it and i know everybody that listens really appreciates it well you know so, the app is so important because People get into so many different encounters. You know, they really do. It's not like all I have to do is this or that. And that's why, like, if you look at the elk nuggets like Taylor just mentioned and you see, why is there 10 things there? It's because we are working over-the-counter bulls. And these bulls, they get educated. They see everything. There are times when, yes, I can go and use the cow sound and then jump over it with a bull sound and it connects. And within a few calls, a minute later, 90 seconds, here he comes. There's times I can do that same thing and that bull won't budge. This guy, he, he's suspicious. He, he's already being called to we don't know how many times. I can usually tell within 40 seconds, 45 seconds, I kid you not, if that bull's been worked by another hunter already. So I got to switch gears real quick. I already know that I got to approach this bull different because he should have already reacted in a certain way, you know, for me being in that situation so many times. So now I'm switching. So in other words, 
I did the cow calls. I did the bugle. He's not coming. And when I say cow calls bugle, I mean I'm setting him up. I am calling this bull with some of the cow sounds and then cutting that bull off mid-range with maybe a, you know, a number five level. I never start out hot, super hot and heavy because I can always climb that ladder. But if I can tell, you know, and my son and I are there, I'll say, man, this bull's already been hit maybe several times. You know, it's the 15th, 18th. We know we got to do something different. So now I know I have to send him out ahead. So now I send Paula. I said, you call, start cow calling your way to the bull right now. Just go at him. Cow calling your way and don't let him see or smell you. And as soon as you get 60, 70 yards from me, I am going to try to be the bull that was with that cow. And I'm calling her back. You see, and so I start showing the emotion in my bugle and the intensity, and I can't get it to raise, 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 because the cow's going the other way, choosing the other bull. And you cannot believe how it gives the real bull the confidence that he's drawn that cow away, and he gets explosively vocal because he's winning the battle, so to speak, and here she comes calling her way to him. You see, and I'm staying back. I'm not following the cow. I stay back. Vocal more than anything, keeping that bull vocal, but see, it's a real situation that you'll have. And on over the counter elk that have been, you know, hammered with everything, this is an absolutely a killer sequence. It's not something we use all the time, but when it's time, it's like that or nothing is going to work on that bull right there, or else we're just going to walk away from him. So, you know, it's something that you're always reading out there constantly, or it's the bull that you have to retreat on. I've cow called, cow called, and he's come into 150, and he won't come any further. So now leave the shooter right there, and I cow call and retreat back. I may go 100, 125 yards, cow calling my way, breaking brush like I'm leaving and losing interest in him, and here he comes. He wants to catch up, and he'll bring, he'll bring him right by the shooter. He may not come to me as the shooter close enough but he's coming by your shooter you left there and you asked paul you can't believe how many bulls we've called in and put on the ground by doing little things like that where you can tell the simple generic calling isn't gonna isn't gonna cut it at that time so that's what i mean there's all these little things and there i go rattling again but but i mean they're so important that that it's you know this is how we are successful every year it's because we're willing to implement something different if the situation requires it Paul, I want to go back to one of your your other scenario, the one where, uh, you know, Paul Jr.'s cow talking at the bull and you're behind, you know, challenging him or, you know, you're behind him bugling. Does Paul in that scenario, does he usually just keep walking cow talking towards that bull saying you picked him or does that bull, does he stop halfway and let that bull try working towards him? What's your strategy on that as of? You know, he's already headed towards him. Does he keep going or does he – do you have him stop? No, he walks right in there and, 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 and usually takes the bull out. Or I've done the same thing. He'll do the bugling and I'm the cow caller. But, you know, as the shooter, it's like anything in this world. You have to use some common sense. You know, not only are you working the wind and that wind checkers in your hand, boom, 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 boom. I'm not kidding you. You're constantly monitoring the wind even though you know where it should be going. It, because you never know when there's just a little bit of a puff going a different direction. So immediately you got to go left or right. I mean, you can't just throw caution to the wind in these areas because, you you know, it's not always 8 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it's 9.30, 10.30, and that's right. when they start swirling. So I know I'm throwing something kind of in out of nowhere there, but you have to be aware of these things as a hunter. And so as you're going in, you're not just monitoring the wind and holding your bow in the other hand. You're also trying to listen to the bull, and that's why between his calling and my bugling in this instance, we're trying to to keep track him as the shooter 
where the bull is by keeping him vocal. So in most cases, when, when, when it's finally employed, it's because it's a herd bull. And the herd bull has cows, and he won't leave them. So it's very rare that that herd bull all of a sudden leaves his cows out of nowhere and starts coming toward the cow. Why should he? The cow is coming to him. So see, she's, 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 she's doing exactly what he's asking. And I'm upset as the herd bull, as my bull, you know, me, the hunter. But I'm depicting a bull out there. And so I start off trying to call my cow back and I raise my voice. I'm, co- I'm going from, from just, you know, strong, short little bugles in emotion, trying to bring her back to more like roundup, calling her back, then even challenges. And the ultimate sound or, or, or bugle a bull can use is the lip ball. That is his ultimate emotion. It does not get any – he doesn't have anywhere to go after that. But what he can do is he can give short lip balls. Shown his demand to get for her to get back, or he can give a little bit longer and louder lip ball, louder, longer, and that's how I play it. I don't just run out there and give him the biggest lip ball I can, or four in a row they're all the same. No, it's the same as if you were talking to somebody who was annoying you. Your voice gets a little stronger, and a little more, and a little more, and a little, and that's what you do. That's what I do to the ill. And this is why I think you know it's one of the things that we do that it, it just makes it so real. To the bull, to the real bull, and and and, and again, we're talking over-the-counter bulls that were, that everybody else has already been trying to bugle or cow call or work these elk, and 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 watch the YouTube videos. How many times you see do anybody do anything like that? They come out with the strongest bugle and they stay with the strongest bugle every, all the way through. If they get them, they get them. If they don't, they don't, and they don't care. And I don't, I shouldn't say they don't care. They're not aware. This is how they should be doing it, and they'll watch that. They'll, they're calling way more bulls in this way, or at least making them hold position. You see, by me staying back at 200 yards and Paul advancing, the bull knows my position the entire time. Why should he run? He knows I'm showing cowardice here. I'm trying to call my cow back. I'm not challenging him or I'd be closing the distance, putting pressure on him, but I'm not. There's no way. So see, it makes him stay there. I'm not following the cow in. Big mistake if I did that. No way. I'm right. staying back. You see, right. so there's a method to the madness there. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think it kind of brought us full circle from the question that we started with. You know, <laughs> talked about the situation. I hear some patterns there about you know a bull challenging a cow. And Paul, uh, we're getting close to uh, kind of the arbitrary time limit, I guess we put on ourselves here. But I was wondering if you wanted to. If you've got another question in mind that we can leave to our listeners to uh, have them think about over the next week while we're working on another podcast. Yeah, I could I could throw something out there. <laughs> okay, here's one. Uh, does a cow use a specific mew or whine as she enters estrus to try to let her to, to try to let a bull know that she's ready to be bred? Good question. Really good question. Yeah. I look forward to talking about that more. Yeah, that was it was awesome. I was I felt like I was in the mountains today, Paul. <laughs> We're always there, kind of mentally, anyway. That's yeah. right. Yeah, especially this time of year. So pining for it. Well, we really appreciate it, Paul. And you know, for all those listening, if you have questions, feel free to uh, you know shoot us some messages, and uh, uh, we'd love to talk about it here on the podcast. And talk to Paul more about it. So. Right. We'll take messages on Instagram or Facebook with Got Game Tech or Elk Nut app or Elk Nut Outdoors is Paul's. And then Paul's a regular on a lot of the hunting forums. 
Uh, we've got a website, GotGameTech, PaulsOnElkNut.com. So definitely fairly easy to get a hold of. And uh, we're all willing to answer phone calls and questions that way too for the for the phone callers. So yeah, we look forward to, to hearing from everybody. And, and I'd like to remind everyone that if you're liking what you're hearing on the podcast, to give us a review on the platform that you use so more people can learn about it. Yeah, you know, if people really have questions out there, let us know. I mean, we're dead serious. We will do everything we can to try to respond to them, you know, through podcasts like this so you can actually see the answer, you know, come. If you have that question, guys, out there, so do a hundred others. Right. There's no dumb question. Like nope. There's no dumb answer, right, Paul? <laughs> just just dummy, dumb people. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paul. <laughs> hey, no problem. I'm honest. <laughs> hey, well, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys.